Today is Tuesday, January 17, 2023. It's day 739 of the J6 political hostage crisis. I'm Mel Holly, and this is your Justice in Jeopardy update. We've got Howard Richardson on the line today, and uh, he is calling in from a federal prison. Welcome to the show, Howard. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Bill. Everything considered. Yeah, you've had a, a very tough run of it. Why don't you give us a little background ab- about yourself? Uh, well, I'm 72 years old. I've ran my own company for 45 years. I've never been arrested. I've been going to the same church for 25 years. Uh, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I have five children, nine grandchildren. Uh, I mean, there's lots more to say, I guess, but I don't want to take too much time. So why don't you tell us why you went to the Capitol on January 6th? I went to the Capitol January 6th. It was a new January 6th was the day that the Electoral College certified, formally announced where their votes were going to go. It was pretty much well known for in most cases, but that's when they formally announced them. On December 6th, I was invited by email and by voice message by several groups and individuals to come down January 6th. They're going to, they're going to certify whether Trump won or not. I figured... Maybe they finally had done it right because I know the, the stuff that was going on. I watched it personally. I listened to it. I followed it very intently. And I was hoping they were going to do it correct. Either Trump had won. This call is from a federal prison. It was in the process of winning. That's what I was hoping for. In in, in 2009, I came down with the first big Tea Party rally. And they put a deck out front. I mean, like a 30 by 20 deck. And the elected representatives came out and spoke to us about our concerns about what was going on with the government back there with Obama. So I was hoping for something like that. That's why I went down. Okay, so you were hoping for for a positive outcome to what you believed was a yes. was a stolen election. Yes, I was okay. hoping to address the concerns of the people who would be coming there. Why don't you tell us about about what that, that day looked like for you? That was a Wednesday morning. I drove down. I got into the capital area about eleven fifteen. I'm going to skip a few things for the reason of for the reason of time. I ended up walking down. I parked my car because I had parked it at a hotel's garage because I had a friend down there, but he wasn't ready to go. He said, I said, I'm going to go down there. I'll meet you down there. I have my cell phone. First thing I want to say is they cut off my cell phone. And I heard several people's cell phones were cut off, but not everybody's. So something was going on, number one. If you're familiar with uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, it takes you right down towards the uh, Capitol. And then on an angle comes in Constitution Boulevard. And right there... I saw on my right-hand side two large military buses. These were not transport buses. These were not school buses. These were military buses. On the buses were, as best I could tell, mostly young people. I mean, 25 and under. And they were all dressed very similar. Not the same, like in a uniform, but they were dressed all very similar. Maybe maybe suspicious, but I didn't didn't put two and two together. I was anxious to get down to the Capitol building. Within seconds... That, that spot right there. A bunch of guys came down Pennsylvania Avenue and they were all on these really, really nice bikes. Like you can tell they were brand new. And most of them were what I call off road or rugged heavy duty bicycles. These are bicycles that normally sell for like $500. These guys were all young, like 20 ish. And I'm like, and I said to myself, they don't look like Trump supporters. Oh, and by the way, all their paraphernalia, but they were all wearing, they were all wearing Trump hats, Trump shirts some Trump flags, but it was all brand new. It looked very suspicious. But again, I didn't put two and two together because I was by myself. I continued walking down. There's a place down there at the end of the, at the quadrangle, right before you get to the Capitol, called the, the reflecting pool. 
I got there and I stopped because you'd be on there. There was was a barrier that I suppose that the police had put up, but there was no police there. None, no signs, no nothing, just the barrier. And you could climb over the barrier. You can't really move the barrier. It was very heavy. But you could climb over it if you wanted to. So it wasn't really going to stop anybody curious or, or doing anything that they had in mind. I would linger there for a little bit. I'm saying, where's all these people? There's only like five, six, seven hundred people. And I'm saying, well, I was told there's thousands and thousands of people there. And I was just saying to myself, if this doesn't, if this doesn't really turn out, I'm going to go back to, to see my friend at the hotel. We'll celebrate there. Right about that time, one of the barriers went over. And you and believe me, you needed five, six strong guys to knock this thing over. It, you could knock this thing over easily. A few people trickled in, and my first thought to myself was, I'm not going to go in there. I could be shot because from that point there to the back of the building, was a 300-yard stretch of grass, roughly 300 yards. In the middle, about 150 yards through, there were 10 to 15 metro cops. They were just standing there. They were not in what we call a show of force example. They were all spread out, and they, but they were just there. After that happened, I turned to my right, and I was told that the, the – the Trump speech is over and the people are coming. So, oh, I said, that's great. I looked to my right and here it comes down a quadrangle. Thousands and thousands of people singing songs, carrying flags. This call is from a federal prison. I said, okay, I'm going to go in. I felt safe. I felt everything was going to be good. When I got about half, now a couple hundred people going in at that, at that point by now. There's a breach there. At about halfway to the point where the cops were, they were all gone. They left. There was absolutely no attempt to stop anybody in any way, shape, matter, form. That barrier meant nothing to anybody. When I got about, uh, like I said, about halfway in, there were three scaffolds in front of me on the backside of the, uh, this all on the backside of the Capitol because they were working on the, on the Capitol that previous summer. On the middle scaffold, there was five or six guys, all young. One guy had a megaphone. With that megaphone, he was shouting in there, and here's what he was saying. Come on, let's get him. Don't stop now. There's not that many. Come on, we can get him. He was clearly trying to agitate the crowd. So there was scaffolding on either side, and that was set up uh, supposedly for the inauguration. These guys were in the middle one. Yeah, yeah. So that's that, that's the one we call the tower. What I'm trying to say is this. If they were trying to protect that building, everybody I've talked to, now I've been, I've, I've worked in security, I was in the army, I know a little bit about defending that structure, okay? Everybody told me you needed 1,000 to 2,000 people to, 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 to protect a building like that. If they had three or 400 cops there that I could see, and I did, I walked all around the building, which I was going to say, I don't think they, I don't think they had more than 300, 400 or 300. Yeah. And they needed yeah. a lot more. And you know this, if you don't remember this, Trump offered them ten to 20,000 ARs and NTs to protect the building. And they both, Pelosi and uh, the mayor of D.C., uh, I forget her name. Mayor Bowser. They both reje- mayor Bowser, yeah. They yeah. both rejected it. Yep. They had no real concern to protect this building. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. So from that point there, I felt... Everybody's coming in now, and a bunch of these Trump supporters are coming, starting to come in. And I felt safe. I felt secure. Uh, I hadn't done anything wrong, so I continued walking forward. There's three tiers of cement steps on the back of the Capitol building, on the very, very back where the cockpit starts. On the middle tier, a, couple, a bunch of guys started a chant. There was about 20, 25 of them. I'm not sure how many. The chant went like this. Whose house? And the other 20, someone shout out our house. They did that about 10 times. Then they shouted one last chant. What do we want? And they all shouted, we want the house. And they all charged up the back steps. 
These were all the things that were clearly trying to agitate and instigate the crowd. Again, there was another bicycle rat barrier. This time, there were 30, 35, maybe 40 riot control police. Yeah. All full gear. They were standing a good 10 to 12 feet behind the, the, that bicycle rat barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, which lieutenant back there, there was a captain back there. I could show their, I could show their, their, their uh, rank on her, on her sleeves and stuff. Uh, I just stood by the middle the middle scaffold, just observing, see what's going on. I thought, I was there a good 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. And... A couple things happened. I noticed a, a, a water bottle was thrown at them, but it was not a frozen water bottle. A frozen water bottle is considered a weapon. This was not frozen, and it just went over their heads. And nothing happened. Then I, I needed, that was a young person too, by the way. Not, 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 most young people were forty years old. This I know for a fact. Yeah. Then I saw somebody throw a firecracker at them, and again, a young person, twenty-ish. Then about, then about a minute after he threw that, they started firing tear gas. They only fired one tear gas canister that I remember for sure. And they did it the proper way you're supposed to do it. And of course, somebody picked up the tear gas canister and threw it back at them. At this point, now I've been here about close to half an hour. Um, up the stairs, the final set of stairs up against that pattern, about 20 or 25 young guys were carrying this big piece of metal. Think of like a big, think of like a, a eight by twelve or nine by ten or whatever it is, or nine by twelve picture frame, like a rectangle. But but this one is like thirty by twenty feet or thirty by fifteen. They were pushing up the steps, twenty or twenty five young guys, and they were going to ram that bicycle rack barrier. Well, the police all came forward and blocked it, and they had to, they had to lift it up in the air. They were blocking. They were jousting back and forth for I don't know five seconds. And I was right there. I mean, I could have reached out and touched it. It started coming my way. And I and this is a big piece of metal. I forget. If it moves fast, it's going to smash it. So I put my hand out to make sure that didn't happen. And as soon as I touched that, I was covered with rainbow. Yeah, that, that sign that you're talking about, um, many people have uh, have been charged because they simply touched that sign for a few seconds. Really? Yeah, see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, but yeah. There's only about 20 or 25 carrying up there, but maybe there were just I don't want to run out of time. I want you to tell us uh, quickly about what's going on with your social security. I've been getting social security for a couple of years now. Um, I have still, they were still sending they deposit checks deposited in my account automatically each month. Uh, and I've been in jail for over a year now. They deposit month, but as of November, they took they said a letter to Linda that this check will be withheld. We're not going to send it to you right now. And I found that it's only because I'm incarcerated. No other reason. Yeah. yeah. And so now she has to so now that was nine hundred dollars a month she's not getting. So that's really hurt our funding. Yeah. Um, my business is being run by two guys. I'm paying them to do what I used to do by myself. So our profit is very, very low. So she really needs that that SS check that I was getting. And you know, that's what I'm trying to do is try to get money to her also. Well, that's just wrong. That's wrong on so many levels, especially for a veteran. I'm so sorry. Well, we're going to do what we can to to get that information out. I know that you witnessed some things on election night, uh, November 3rd, 2020. Do you want to share that story with us? A bunch of us people in the GOP would always go to the same place and watch returns on election night. Because uh, I usually, I've been working in polls for the last nine, 10 years. So a bunch of us go to this, our favorite spot and go to this return. I uh, got there around 8, 8.30, and at 10 o'clock, Trump was ahead in Pennsylvania, they said, by about 700,000 votes. If you know anything about elections, at that time of night, that, that race is over. That's over. And I can go into great detail, but I'm not. 
At that time, 10 o'clock, the guy on Fox News came out and said, we haven't heard from Philadelphia for a while. And we, I didn't really think a whole lot about it. 15 minutes later, he came on and said, we still haven't heard from Philadelphia. A couple of us looked at each other. My one friend said, let's go over to the drop-off point. Drop-off point is in Norristown, 1426 Washington Street in Norristown. After all the votes, all the polls take their votes there. They're out in Boston. They take them over to the drop-off point. I said, you know what? Let's go. So two of us went over. We both had our own cars, me and, and me and a lady named Gail, who also worked the polls that day. I know Gail. Well, that building is almost always, I've been told this before, because I've been over there many times, that on election night, the building is locked down by 9.15, 9.30 at the latest. We got there between 11.30 and quarter of midnight, and the whole building was lit up. There were at least 20 cars in the parking lot, and you could see people walking around the building. So we both looked at each other and said, something's going on. We immediately got out of our cars. First thing we did was start taking pictures of all the cars as many license places as we could. What we did at that point is, uh, we said, We're, I'm going to go inside because I had my, I had my, I watched, I was a poll watcher that day and I still have my certificate with me. So I can ask any question I want about the election on election day as a poll watcher. So I started walking towards the building. This big woman stepped in front of us. She was dressed in some ridiculous security guard outfit that didn't even, it just was ridiculous. She didn't say a word. She just stood in front of us, put her hand up. I said, Can you tell me what's going on here? And all she did was shrug her shoulders. That's all she did. Wow. And I said, what's going on here? And within seconds of that, there was an open bay, two open bays where you could see people walking, work, work back there. There were two uh, U-Haul pickup trucks parked next to them. One of them backed it back into the bay to load up. The, the truck had was put on here about maybe 10, 15 boxes, not a lot. Those trucks could easily handle 50 to 100 of those boxes. These boxes were the ballot boxes. And I know what was in them. They were mailing ballots in them. I said to myself, well, let me go right over. And as soon as I did that, the guy closed the back door, jumped in his car, and screeched out of the parking lot like a like a race car driver. We followed out in the street to see where he went. And we started coming back. As we were coming back, the other truck, there were two trucks there. That truck also backed up to the – you notice the time here? As soon as I stood, now they're in a big hurry to get out of there. <laughs> so this one backed up and again started loading it up only 10 or 15 boxes were put so apparently this truck was already pretty well loaded they wanted to get the last few boxes in there but they had, they had an agenda to be this time I went right up to the truck within 10 feet and put my hand up and the guy said what's the problem I said what's going on here he made an excuse and I said you're not going to tell me what's going on here he said who are you I said don't worry about who I am I'm a poll watcher I've got a certificate I have questions about what's going on in this building right this building's supposed to be locked up by now he started saying me something and he said, am I being, uh, am I being uh, recorded right now? I said, no. He said, are you taking my picture? Up here? And I said, yes, you're on film right now. And then he said, I'd like to see your, your poll watcher's certificate. I said, okay, sure. My truck was like right there. I took about five sec- seconds, about five steps in the direction of the truck. He whipped out of that, that spot, hit the same thing, screeched into the parking lot, and turned and left. Wow. It's pretty obvious what's going on. Yeah, it's what's going on. Okay. Now I said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to find out what's going on. This time we went back towards the building, and there were five big men, NFL linebacker-type guys, waiting for us. And I, I just told my play dumb. I said, hey, man, what's going on here? Is this the, uh, this is the place where they jump off the uh, ballot tonight for the election? And he was caught off guard. He was just, you know, uh, uh, falling like, well, uh, uh, no, no, that, uh, no that, that doesn't happen here anymore. He's, oh, you want to know? Oh, it, it, yeah. He was just looking for a, a little way to think, get the off me. 
He told me where it was, and I said, I know he's lying because I know who, I know what this building is. So I went down to where he said it only took nine, ten minutes. I knew what it was. It was, it was the healthcare clinic. I came back and I said, okay, stop the BS. This call is from a federal prison. Stop the BS. Okay, what's going on here? He started making excuses. I walked up real close. I said, sir, I've taken pictures of every car here and every license plate, and I have your picture and others. You want to tell me what's going on? And he started making excuses again. And that's when I said, have a nice night. Bye-bye. Oh. Two days later, I reported it. I reported to two GOP hotlines. I reported to the Southeast Pennsylvania Assistant District Attorney involved with election and voter fraud and cooperating and working with the Trump administration. And also, I reported to Project Veritas. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yeah. Anyway, the lawyer got back me from the, 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 the district attorney of Southeast Pennsylvania. got back to two days later. Here's what he said. He said, Howard, we checked you out. We checked out your story. Sounds very, very, it, we're very, very interested. But here's the thing. We have had so many incidents like this. We probably won't even need you to come in. That's what he told me. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, if that isn't major voter fraud, then I don't know what is. Blank ballots are being taken someplace to be filled out and put in because they in Pennsylvania they can put count votes three days after that Tuesday up to Friday five p.m. All of a sudden Trump had a seven hundred thousand lead. The next day it was like five hundred thousand. The next day it went down again, and, and they eventually called the state for Pennsylvania. Total obvious voter fraud. Yeah, that's what I saw on that November night, twenty twenty. Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, not, not even having to witness that, and and you did witness it is, uh, you know, the reason that that so many of us did show up at the Capitol on January 6th is because uh, there were just so, so much, so many stories, so much evidence of, of voter fraud, election fraud. And uh, you you had every reason in the world to to want to show up at the Capitol. And, and anybody in my position would feel the same as what you just said. Yeah. Obvious. Yeah, absolutely. That's why so many people were so frustrated come January 6th because they knew what was going on. But they figured the Electoral College finally got it right. Either Trump's going to win or already won. We were coming down there for a big celebration. I told you before, I was invited down there to come down for the big party, come down for the big celebration. Those are the words that were commonly, routinely used. So did you get any response from from anyone aside uh, from that response that, uh, you know? The the two GOP hotlines and Project Veritas never called me back, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to do more, but I really didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's 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 hard to know. It really is. The mail-in ballot. Let me tell you something. The assistant secretary, the secretary of state in Pennsylvania, announced May first of twenty twenty that they were going to use mail-in ballots because of COVID. They didn't want people standing close in line. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. Republicans immediately challenged it and won, but then the Democrats, of course, appealed it and went to the highest court in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and they ruled overruled it because it's five to two liberal Democrats in, on the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's I mean, it's a travesty. It it really is. I mean, it's it's disgusting and despicable that this is that this has gone on. Well, I think the main thing, main thing, Mel, is that when he when he said to me, we had we have so many incidents like this, Howard. It, I mean, it, that's a very, very telling thing. It is. And I'll tell you, uh, sitting in on these courtrooms, I have heard the judges in J6 hearings um, make fun of the defendants for believing that there was election fraud. In the courtroom, they've made fun of them. <laughs> well, that's it. That's the, these election officials. They're used to just putting people off unless you challenge them, almost like in a court kind of situation. They get away with it. Yeah. Uh, I got about thirty seconds, and I'm sorry they only give me too much time on nighttime. No, that's okay. Thanks. Thanks for calling back. 
cool for you. That was what happened. Well, I am so glad you you called back to to tell us this story. You hang in there, Howard, and um, I hope I hope they aren't going to take away any of your, um, you know, your 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 letters or or your talk time or anything like that. Well, it's all lodged in my head. No matter what they think, I still got my head. I still got all this information in my head. That's right. You keep fighting, okay? Thank you, Mel. All right. I better run. I'll be in touch with you, okay? Absolutely. God bless you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Nicole is at the vigil right now. They're getting ready to start, and she's going to give us our update for the courtroom. So tell us what's happening. I'm going to do a little recap because there was some really good news last week. Uh, Joshua Black was acquitted of the obstruction charge because Amy Bergman Jackson, that judge did not feel like that they proved that he knew that the certification was going on that day. So that is one of the first acquittals of the obstruction 1512C charge that we have seen, um, other than the dismissals by Judge Nichols. So that that's a really positive thing that we have our first acquittal on that charge. And that is the charge that people have the most weight, the most time is given to that. So that happened last week. That is great news. Um, also last week, Brad Geyer in... Uh, Big O Barnett's case, which is going on right now. His trial's going on. Geyer's the attorney, right? Yeah, Brad Geyer and uh, uh, Joseph McBride. They're both attorneys for Big O. Um, Geyer happened to ask uh, one of the officers if they uh, were prepared for uh, professional agitators. And the officer went, had a hold back and forth with Brad about what are professional agitators? And it was, it was really interesting because Brad was really trying to push um, it out there that there were professional agitators in that crowd. And it put a seed into the jury's mind. So I think that's really positive. We need to get that out more, I think, in, in these cases that, that there are professional agitators that, that were there, that are organized. You know, and uh, Brad has been one of the few attorneys that really get on that subject. He did it in Oath Keepers, and he's now doing it in the Big O trial. Well, uh, Big o, yeah, no, that's really good because we, we need to get the video out. We need to show him the hand signals and all these different things that different people have seen through the videos of the, the coordinate, coordination of these agitators. And, you know, if we can get a jury to see that, that that's going to be amazing for Jan Sixers going forward, you know. So that was really, really um, positive. Pauline Bowers will start her trial this week. She uh, she was here in the D.C. jail for months and months and months. And so her trial begins in a few days. We'll be looking to see what happens in that. She she's in the she's inside. So and she's charged with the same the same stuff all the guys are charged with the obstruction charge the impeding officers and all that so uh her trial will will begin uh big o barnett though I, I got sidetracked big o barnett will probably testify in his own behalf tomorrow afternoon so uh i'm i'm hoping i can be in there to see that uh, yeah, that, that should be pretty interesting because he's got uh he's got a big o uh personality doesn't he <laughs> He does. He really does. He, he's really a lot of fun to be around. And uh, 
what else was going on today? Oh, Jordan Mink, he pled guilty um, to his charges. He will uh, be sentenced in April. Jordan is in uh, the D.C. Gulag, right? Mink is in the Gulag, I do believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. he's still in there. Yeah. yeah, and he's been in there for the duration um, of it. So I'm sure that he's ready to get this behind him. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I wasn't able to read his plea agreement. I'm not sure if he, I'm sure he took it to lesser charges, but um, I haven't been had time to read that. Uh, in the Oath Keepers trial, they, they, the jury got their direction today and they will have closing arguments tomorrow. Um, you know, there were some, I did speak to uh, Roberto Menuda's mother and uh, the argument where there was an issue with the government last week is because they have um, omitted some parts of the video. They altered some of the video that showed some of the officers waving the Oath Keepers, that particular line of Oath Keepers in. And they, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty important video to, uh, you know, it is. It is. And they, uh, you know, they had to argue to get it back in the, the defense did, which just blows my mind that they have to argue obvious evidence and, you know, but the, I, I wasn't sure at the end of the day, because I didn't get to see anyone from Oath Keepers, if that was allowed in or not, but, uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that obviously that it was, um, I'll, I'll find that out tomorrow. Uh, you know, the Proud Boys trial today, they finished with their first witness finally at the end of the day today, which was Inspector Thomas Lloyd. Um, and he he basically describes the layout of the Capitol. Uh, he was inside of the Capitol also where uh, Doug Jensen and Pozzola and that first group of people were, uh, you know, there's just a lot going on with the Proud Boys case. A big issue is, is that the, you know these defendants are not getting uh, reliable access to their discovery. And yeah. they, they, they even brought up that there is a Chief Williams that, in Alexandria who handles uh, making sure that uh, uh, the detainees are a, able to view their discovery. And he's not even returning any of the emails you know, it, it, it's just a, a, a big, that's a huge Sixth Amendment violation. You know, there, there's no way they can prepare for trial. Nick Smith, the attorney for Ethan Nordeen, and uh, several of them, they're asking for, you know, release. Um, so these people, so these defendants can prepare for their trial, which they're already in. Can you imagine the stress going in and, and you haven't even seen your discovery? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you saw yet, but uh, I think it actually came out yesterday or last night that uh, Jim Jordan um, has has answered a, a letter that was written by um, some Patriot folks in in Ohio requesting that all of our J6 prisoners, political prisoners be uh, who are pre-trial detainees be be released. Yeah, uh, someone told me about it at the vigil last night, I believe. And uh, no, I haven't been able to see it, but I, you know, they do, they really do. They cannot prepare adequately for their trial. 
and the way they have, you know, these detainees even scattered, the majority of all these pretrial detainees, they're not really charged with violent, violent crimes, you know, and, and there, there's, there's no hope for bond for them and they cannot uh, prepare for trial. And, you know, the proud boys are already in trial. So, you know, some of the things that they're seeing and the government plays such shady, shady tricks. Um, you know, they do this where, where they will release information to the uh, defense team, um, like at 9.45, 9.50 at night. And it, it, it's about changing up the witness list or who's going to be testifying the next day, in, you know, discovery and evidence. And they have no time to prepare for it for the next day. And Judge Kelly thinks they need to work that out amongst each other. But Nick Smith, the attorney for Ethan Nordeen brought up, you know, we, we send emails all the time. They're not responding back to us on that. So there's no communication. He asked for all of their discrepancies and arguments to be held in front of Judge Kelly and worked out in the court because it doesn't work when, he, when they're depending on the government to communicate back to them. You know, it, it's just one of those things. And the contention uh, between the, the government and this defense team is, is quite stronger than I've seen in other cases. They're, there's, they smirk at each other. You know, the, the government's very arrogant and they have the sheer might of, of the United States behind that table over there. So they have resources abundant um, on their end. And you just have a skeleton crew really trying to defend these Jan Sixers because that you don't have enough people to go through all of the videos, to go through all of the radio, you know, uh, information. And it, it, it's, just, it's just overwhelming, you know, especially when you have uh, five defendants and, you know, everyone's trying to, to get that evidence. Uh, yeah. The government is doing this thing um, in the Proud Boys where they are what the defense team called guilty by association. Uh, you know, Pozzola is standing there, but what they asked uh, Inspector Lloyd is what does this uh, protester have in his hand? And they circle someone completely different and which is not Pozzola. And they say, oh, he has a bat in his hand. Well, that automatically puts a, a seed into the jury's head that, oh, he has a bat in his hand. That whole group is guilty, you know? Um, they showed video. None of the Proud Boys were in the tunnel. They showed video of the police officers that were caught in the door. We've seen over and over in the other courtrooms where, uh, you know, the judges will disallow a video that, you know, is, is not specifically that defendant. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I saw it in guys in guys trial and, and I have seen since then that they've have some of that taken out, but they were showing video of people inside of the Capitol and, and different things that happened inside of the Capitol in relation to guys trial. And, you know, he never even went in, none of that ever had anything to do with him. So it, and, but being the first trial, you know, you're going to get a little, <laughs> they're going to figure it out, you know, along the way. But at least now they are really starting to, um, well, Nick Smith asked for a mistrial. He said, because of the misinformation and lies that the government is trying to put over, how 
how can you, um, they've tainted the jury. And, yeah. you know, the government is saying, oh, well, we're going to tie it all together. And in the end of, 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 the, of the testimony, they didn't tie it together. So now the jury is tainted with this really inflammatory video of officers stuck in a door and none of them were part of that crowd. And they tried to tie it together with A.J. Fisher by saying A.J. Fisher had marched with them that day and that he was in, in, you know, in the tunnel. And that's why they thought they could get away with showing it. Well, in the end, Judge Kelly should have sustained the objection of that evidence ever even being brought in because none of that was ever really tied together. A.J. is not on the indictment with these guys. And he shouldn't be already being prosecuted before he even goes to trial. One other thing I, I really wanted you to uh, to cover is something that we were we were talking about um, in the the Gateway Pundit uh, Twitter space the other night about the the masks. Oh yes, because I didn't get to say that. So uh, when they set the jury um, beforehand, every time that the prosecution is in front of a juror. Every single one of them has a mask on. As soon as a juror is out, when they were doing the void air, they would take their mask off. It was fine. A juror come back in. They were all masked up. When they finally set the jury, they all had their mask on. Three jurors did not have their mask on. When they were sworn, three of them still didn't. They left the room. And then when they came back, they all three had on like the mask that they give you at the courthouse and all the prosecution is masked up. So none of the defense yeah. team has on masks, but the prosecution no. does. And and they are showing that they're trying to virtue signal these uh, these jurors where we're on your side. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, they, they definitely are. You know, I mean, it's even like how they want all of the uh, FBI agents there for opening statements. They want. Um, even, even the prosecutors, some of the prosecutors from Oath Keepers and everything came in and they, they all sat on the front two rows closest to the jury um, to have this show of force. And they're all nice and shiny and they're nice suits and, you know, all of that. And they look so professional that you just want to trust them, I guess. I, you know, um, I definitely can't because I've seen too many of them just lie, lie, lie you know, um, so they don't look all pretty and professional to me, but being a juror, you know, automatically, I think as, as Americans and all that, you, you look to people that are, are helpers like that, the FBI and, and things, and you hold them in such regard that you would just, you just assume everything they're saying is the truth. And you really have to stop yourself and say, is this making sense? You know, because you want to believe them. They're people of authority. You trust them to do the right thing and they're not. And they're prosecuting and persecuting our, our fellow citizens and lying through their teeth to do it. It's absolutely despicable. There's there's no Lots. question about that. There's there's not. And, and you know, they they choose their words very carefully and they they're they're very sly people and, and the government is just as sly. And you know, you're looking at just on the on the government side, they have three prosecutors and the whole weight of, of the FBI behind them. And, you know, I mean, several of and, and throughout different cases, several FBI agents have been taken off 
of violent crimes against uh, children to work on Jan 6 cases. And, and, you know, that just blows my mind that they're taking away resources for, for things that, that are just disgusting and, and leaving that area open so they can hunt down and prosecute our, our fellow citizens, you know, for exercising their First Amendment right. Yeah, that's, that's not right at all. No, uh, it's not. You know, you have, you have children out there that, that are being, you know, sold and, and you have, and they're taking resources away from that to hunt down um, American people. You know, that, that's at the end of the day, that's what they're doing. And, I, and there's more than one FBI agent that I have heard because they, when they go to ask them their experience, they, they say, oh, well, I worked this long and this long on in a certain division. And they, you know, they give a brief re recap of their experience. And so several of them have been taken away and I, it's deplorable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it really is. And, you know, I, I highly yeah. recommend, and I, I know you do too, Nicole, that uh, if, if you can in any way come in to DC and sit in on these hearings and trials, uh, your eyes will be opened like nothing ever before. You know, we could go on forever about, uh, you know, this, it, it, they, they are railroading and it, people for of Jan 6. They, they are seriously putting a, a hard move on the rest of the American people, in my opinion, to say, this is the show of force we give you if you, if you go against our regime and they'll, by any means necessary, they're going to, they're going to continue this persecution and the judges are complicit in this. You yeah, know, they absolutely uh, Judge are. Kelly is very favorable. Yeah, they are. They're very complicit. You get very few judges that make good calls. And, you know, it, it's almost as if they're, they're all working off of a script. I, I also believe that's why you see so many of the same officers and agents testifying um, because they are scripted. They know exactly what they need to say. This um, Inspector Thomas Lloyd, I have seen him probably four different and on four different trials at this point. And, you know, his his spill is always, always the same. I, what they did bring out today, though, and he and he answered is that uh, Roger Roots asked him if the spring into the chemical sprays and everything does does that have an adverse effect other than burning your, <clears throat> excuse me, other than burning your skin. And he was talking about, does it make you agitated? Uh, you know, does it, does it uh, make you foggy? Can it do anxiety? All these different things. Yeah, can it affect asked. you emotionally and, and, and your, and your yes, brain? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, yes. And uh, he said he saw those effects also with his own officers. So, you know, you've got to question that these officers are getting sprayed back what kind of aggression aggression was was you know built by by the spray and you know that that hasn't been asked too often that is very interesting um because if you've seen officer tau who was on the front lines who who is was just uh before you know at the very beginning um mm -hmm. when you're facing the capitol on the uh the right hand side right there at the barrier below the scaffolding 
He was the mm-hmm. one that was running around like uh, like Joe Dirt saying, you know, do we have this? Do we have that? We need more. We need more ammo. We need, you know, and all the other all the other officers are looking at him like what? And and then he, he you know, when he's spraying people, he sprayed me directly in the eye and uh, he um, he accidentally, you know, blows off some uh, some spray of some sort or something uh, all over the other officers right there yeah you know before any of them had really even become agitated in the least so you, you gotta wonder if that was intentional or or what yeah oh yeah he, if he had already been exposed to the spray and it has these effects on people you know that could have been a situation that that hasn't been looked into that that deeply i hadn't even really thought about the emotional the anxiety the aggression and things caused by that spray, other than just being mad you you were sprayed, you know. Um, according to Officer Lloyd, it, you know, inhaling it, all of those things can cause, you know, these different reactions. And there is another uh, uh, officer that should be testifying in Proud Boys. I, I've seen him testify two other times, and he is the he is the officer that does the training for the spray. He knows about the size of the canisters and he knows what's in all of them. And he comes in and gives you a description. He's also on video um, in the Schwartz Brown Mally trial. He testified that he was coughing and you can hear him in the videos saying, telling them not to spray, telling the police, do not spray, do not spray, because the wind was blowing back on them. and. Uh, someone sprayed and as he's walking in because they're coughing because it was the gas at this point and he's coughing 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 and you can hear him say who sprayed that shit I told y'all not to spray and you can hear him distinctly because it's on his body cam so, you know, there's so many uh, miscues that day. Thank so. you so much for all you do. Um, I gotta go. You, yeah, you yeah, are just you. amazing um, being out there on well, the I front I have to go line. do the vigil. Yeah, go, yeah. go do the vigil. And, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You look so pretty to you. <laughs> oh, thank you, sweetheart. Bye. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our show for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget, you can always tune in to the DC Gulag Vigils, and you can find that on Freedom Express Media on YouTube and Rumble. You can also find that on our website, a4justice.org. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And don't forget to always be bold and speak the truth. If you'd like to help us support J6 families as they're released from jails and prisons, please check out the Elijah Fund. You can find that on our website, a4justice.org slash T-E-F. Americans for Justice, Inc. is a nonpartisan alliance that vigorously defends the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and due process across our great nation, which are pivotal to preserving life, liberty, and freedom for all. Too long we have played defense and are losing on all battlefronts through divided efforts. The root problem of election integrity, medical freedom, political prisoners, southern border crisis, CPS and APS and others is one common thing, a direct assault on the U.S. Constitution 
attention and due process. Americans for Justice is a nonprofit organization with local chapters in all 50 states, working with lawyers, legal scholars, and organizations to actively fight government overreach at all levels. Unite with us in the fight for our J6 political hostages and whatever else due process rights are violated. We ask for your support in this vital mission through a one-time donation or an ongoing membership. Go to the letter A, the number 4, justice.org. 